message today is the story of Cain. Making it through Genesis, especially through the early chapters, is pretty easy. And it generates questions. The first time through your Bible, you're going to notice some things. There are things in there, there are details in there that uh, are just waiting to be discovered. Treasures that are waiting to be discovered. Uh, Genesis chapter 4 is one of those passages of Scripture that people usually get through that far before they give up. And you're, but you're not going to give up, right? All right. But there's some questions that get generated out of that chapter. We're going to read 13 verses of that chapter right now. Genesis 4. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Or that term talking about a sin offering lies at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Here in the beginning, and this is the beginning, we find two brothers, two blood brothers, who literally represent mankind. One is righteous and obedient. The other is unrighteous and disobedient. One is acceptable to God, and the other is unacceptable to God. One is a hater and a murderer, and the other is a righteous victim of that hate. When folks find out, out in the course of business on a daily basis, when they find out that I'm a pastor, I'm often asked various Bible questions, issues about Bibles, passages and things that they've read, maybe didn't understand. And I suppose it's true that most people don't often get the opportunity to have a one-on-one FaceTime with their pastor. Now, of all the subjects in the Bible that I'm asked about, one that is often asked is, why did not God accept Cain's offering? Cain seems to get a lot of sympathy among folks who read this passage. Cain was a farmer. Well, he brought what he had, people say. Surely God understood that. 
I suppose the question is common because when people set out to read their Bible, they almost always get past Genesis chapter 4. It seems to me that when people ask about why didn't God accept Cain's offering, they're not asking the right question. There's a better question it's about something that few seem to notice. The Bible doesn't just say that God had not respect to Cain's offering. It says to Cain and his offering, God had not respect. As defined by the context in verse 7, God having not respect simply means that neither Cain nor his offering was acceptable to God. And it seems to me that the Lord not accepting Cain could perhaps be a lot more serious than whether or not he accepted his offering. Now before you judge the Lord as being partial or unfair and side up with Cain because he seems to be the underdog here, you need to understand some things about these two brothers. Let's be reminded first of all that both of them were equally aware of the presence, the divine presence of Almighty God right there around them and with them. They observed God's amazing creation firsthand every day. It wasn't messed up by pollution. There wasn't tin cans laying on the bank of the creek and all these things like you might find out in the world today. They observed His handiwork. Psalm 19 and 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Psalm 97 and 6 says, The heavens declare His righteousness, and all the people see His glory. These were grown men who were farming and raising livestock. They saw the miracles of birth, and of planting, and of harvesting. They saw it all, and they saw it every day. They had the same parents, and they had the same upbringing. These men experienced the unmistakable, undeniable presence of God on an even greater and more personal level than you or I have ever or could ever experience. God spoke with them in person and firsthand. They both experienced the literal voice of God. That's something that men dream about today. Boy, what would it be like if I could just go outside and look up at the sky and ask God whatever I needed to know, and He would just speak and tell me what I needed to know? You've tried that probably. Anybody want to admit that? Yeah, me too. We dream about things like that, but these guys experienced it. Did Cain know that God was real? Oh, yeah, absolutely he did. Of course he did. Was he some kind of native in the wilderness who never heard the good news, you know? That's the first thing lost people want to talk about. Well, what about the people in deep, dark Africa who never heard about Jesus? What about them? What's God going to do with them? Well, there's answers to that, but it's not in today's message. You'll have to come back for that. Was Cain mentally crippled so that he was incapable of understanding? I don't think so. I don't see any sign of that here. Cain had none of the excuses that men so often claim and place their false hopes on today. Just like you and just like me, Cain was without excuse. 
Let me read this to you from the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That's talking about Cain. He was the first one. He knew the truth. But he stayed unrighteous when he didn't have to. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Both of these men were taught about sin and redemption. It's apparent from the context that both of these men were taught of God. Here's what it says about that in John chapter 6. Verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Abel, the one who was murdered, the one who was righteous before God, he's going to be raised up at the last day, just like Jesus promised. Jesus said, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and that hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. They were both taught of God. How else would they even know to bring an offering to the Lord? They wouldn't even know about that if they hadn't been already taught. Whether by dad or by mom or by the Lord himself, they both knew to bring an offering to the Lord. After Cain was rejected and angry, the Lord even explained it to him again. Much like maybe some of you, I don't know. You've heard it, you've heard it again, you've heard it again, and still haven't put your trust in Christ to save you from your sins. That's pretty serious. Which one of these brothers does that make you like? Where's the scripture where Cain says, Lord, I'm sorry. What can I do to be saved? Where, where's that scripture? Now, you read your Bible. I've been reading it. I haven't found it either. It's not there. No such verse appears, does it? Sin had destroyed these men as it has each of us. Sin does that. Jesus said in John 3 and verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Most people think that being born again is only in the New Testament. It's not. It's always been around. Sin brings death to our spirit. That's how it works. As it was then, so it is now. Same. When a man places his trust willingly, readily, on purpose, when he places his trust in the shed blood of Jesus who died in our place. He died in your place. Buried and rose again the third day. When he died in your place, he paid a debt. A debt that he did not owe. A debt that you do owe. Now you can, you can be a, a fool and reject that payment that he made for you. 
when you, when you fail to put your trust in what Jesus did for you, that kind of makes you a Cain. Would you say that Cain, it's hard to talk about names, but Cain was the first fool. He was definitely a fool. To fail to accept that payment that was made on your behalf is perhaps the most foolish thing that anyone could ever do. Our dead spirit, when we put our trust in Jesus to save us, our spirit, which is dead in sins, is made alive. Forever. It's incredible. It's called being born again. Recreated in righteousness and true holiness, the Bible says. John 5, 24, Jesus said it this way. He said, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. The spirit which is dead in sins is made alive forever, never to be condemned again. Whether you are on Abel's side of the cross, trusting that Jesus will come and die for us as he did, or whether you are on our side of the cross, looking back to the day that he did come and die and pay for our sin, salvation comes just one way, just one. There's never been a second plan of salvation. And that salvation comes in placing your trust in Jesus. David did it. Moses did it. Abel did it. Seth did it. All those people that are in heaven today that were born on the other side of Calvary, on the other side of Bethlehem. They're in heaven today because of putting their trust in Jesus. And that's where I'm going because of putting my trust in Jesus. David described it this way. He said in Psalm 32 and verse 2, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. Both of these men brought an offering that reflected what was on the inside of them. It reflected what they were depending on. The scripture says that God did not accept Cain, nor did he accept Cain's offering. The right and the proper offering was a lamb without blemish. It was the first lamb, the best lamb that he had or could obtain. The truth is that if Cain had brought the blood sacrifice of an unblemished lamb, he still would not have been accepted. Do you realize that? It wasn't just the offering that the Lord rejected. The Bible says, but unto Cain and his offering God had not respect. The reason is because Cain was not a believer. There are a lot of religious people that are wanting to bring a lot of different kinds of offerings to God. They offer their good works. They offer their church affiliation. They offer money, giving, all kinds of different things. People want to offer to God. Cain, his offering that's recorded in the Bible is looked upon with admiration and favor by a lot of people. 
they think, well, Cain, he, he gave the best of what he had. He did what he could do. No, he didn't do what he could do. He could have put his trust in Jesus that was promised to come. And he could have demonstrated that trust by bringing an acceptable offering. Cain was not a believer. Cain was still a child of the devil like every one of us either were or still are. I mentioned this the other day to Nona. She didn't like it much. I don't blame her. I didn't like it much when I found out that I was a child of the devil. Did you like it when you found out you were a child of the devil, Mary? I I didn't like it. But it was still true. Didn't change it. But I'll tell you something. Somebody did change it. His name is Jesus. First John 3 and 11 says, For this is the message that you have heard of him from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And, and wherefore slew him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. If Cain was rejected, and he was, it was because God knew what was in Cain. In John chapter 2, There's three verses here that tell us a little short story of when Jesus went to Jerusalem during the Passover feast. And this was at a point in time in his ministry where he was performing a lot of miracles. The Bible says there were people being brought to him that had all kinds of sicknesses and he healed them all, it says. It says in chapter 2, verse 23, that now, he was in, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Now, did you catch that? Jesus knows what's in you. He knows if the Holy, that His Holy Spirit resides in you or if He doesn't. He knows if your spirit is dead in sins or if it's alive unto God. He doesn't just know it. He's the one that, if you are saved, that caused it. He's the one that did it. Cain brought the fruit of his own works because that's all he had to offer God. What are you going to do when you stand before God one day and the only thing that you've got to offer God is how good you've been? Are you going to be excited about that? Happy about that? I don't think so. As it was then, so is it now. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved, not through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Proverbs 15 and 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Isaiah 64, 6 says that we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Every year, as he had been taught, Abel brought 
a blood sacrifice to the Lord, signifying his faith in the coming Redeemer. There is no doubt that Abel gave other offerings as well, as these things, these practices were handed down of, from, of generations to come that, that would demonstrate what they had learned back then. Later under the law, the sin offering was a remembrance that was made every year with us because the real Lamb of God has come and all has been fulfilled. That is now complete, complete, complete. Absolutely accomplished in full. Hebrews 10 and verse number 3 says, but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Verse 12 says, but this man, who's he talking about there? Who do you think that is? But this man, what's his name? Jesus. Okay, you're with me then. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Amen. God set me apart unto himself because of the offering that Jesus made on my behalf. Why was Cain not acceptable? Because he was a child of the devil, because he was not a believer. When from the heart you put your trust in that blood that Jesus shed for you on the Calvary, God will accept you. And then he will also accept your offerings. If you're saved, if you're born again, you can offer acceptable sacrifices unto the Lord. You can offer the sacrifice of praise. Amen. Amen. You can do that and it's acceptable. You can offer the sacrifice to God's house. You can offer the sacrifice of your faithful presence in God's house. The sacrifice of your participation in the work of the Lord in this place. The sacrifice of Making Jesus preeminent in your life. Who's the number one figure in your life? Some of you ladies might say, well, my husband. Maybe not. Now, what can I say? No. Jesus is the number one figure in our life. Colossians, look at verse 12 of chapter 1. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be the partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Don't you wish this was talking about you? For most of you it is talking about you. Definitely talking about me. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might be number one. That's what that means. Having the preeminence means that he might, get, he might be number one. Like Cain, I wasn't acceptable. Like Abel, I was made acceptable in the beloved. And Jesus is the beloved. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Are you in that group that Abel was the first one of? Well, technically, I suppose Adam and Eve might have been the first ones. Are you still standing with Cain? Not a good place to stand with Cain. 